Today's podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Chapter American Academy of Pediatrics. The Ohio AAP promotes the health, safety, and well-being of children and adolescents so they may reach their full potential. We accomplish this by addressing the needs of children, their families, and their communities, and by supporting chapter members through advocacy, education, research, service, and improving the systems through which they deliver pediatric care. The Ohio chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Kiwanis Club of Columbus proudly presents a special series centering on health disparities and engaging minoritized communities entitled Infant Mortality After COVID-19, Saving Lives Through Family Health Podcast. My name is Jordi Wells, and I use my real-life experiences as a pediatric emergency medicine doctor to dig deep into complex issues affecting the lives of children in Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. You'll be listening to a panel discussion featuring Dr. Arthur James, former associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology and pediatrics at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center and Nationwide Children's Hospital, co-chair of the Ohio Collaborative to Prevent Infant Mortality and senior policy advisor to the Ohio Department of Health. Dr. Kiara Barnett, a former postdoctoral fellow at the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity and current research scientist at the Center for Child Health Equity and Outcomes Research at Nationwide Children's Hospital. And finally, Dr. Valencia Walker, Associate Chief Diversity and Health Equity Officer for Nationwide Children's Hospital, Vice Chair for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and the Associate Division Chief for Health Equity and Inclusion for the Division of Neonatology. I want to thank our panelists for being here today and jump right into our discussion. Dr. James, can you define infant mortality for us and the challenges that we face in Ohio? Sure. So by definition, infant mortality is the death of any live-born baby prior to his or her first birthday. Um, In the state of Ohio, we have some significant challenges in terms of racial differences in the opportunity to to survive the first year of life. What I mean by that in particular is that black babies in our state die at about three times the rate of white babies uh, during the first year of life. To put infant mortality in perspective, um, understand the following. First off, if we look, just generally speaking, at excess Black deaths um, across the age spectrum, the most recent data from September of 2019 that looks at uh, death data from 2019 shows that Black people in general die, of course, at higher rates than than white people. That exists for all ages until we get into the 80s. But the period of time where those excess infant deaths is the worst is, again, during the first year of life. In my opinion, this racial disparity in the opportunity to survive the first year of life is the biggest maternal child health challenge facing this nation. When we get specific for Ohio data, most recently we've looked at data that goes from 1970 to 2019. So it's a 49 year period of time. And during that period of time, Ohio has made significant improvements, about 63% improvement in its overall infant mortality rate. But during that period of time, there's also this significant 
racial disparity mentioned previously, so that in 1970, black babies in the state of Ohio died at 1.8 times the rate of white babies. Fast forward to 2019, and that disparity ratio increases to just under three times the rate that white babies die. That means that during that period of time, the white infant mortality rate improved by about 69%, the black infant mortality rate improved by 54%. And it is that disparity in the pace of improvement that accounts for the reason that the disparity ratio significantly increased during that 49 year period. The other piece of data that I think is very significant for us to pay attention to is how the state of Ohio has done relative to achieving healthy people goals for infant mortality during this period of time. We have four decades of healthy people data to look at. Healthy people 1990, healthy people 2000, healthy people 2010, and healthy people 2020. During that period of time, the state of Ohio has achieved overall infant mortality, healthy people goals for white babies three out of the four decades. The state of Ohio has never achieved any healthy people goal um, for black babies. Going back to that excess infant death data that I alluded to briefly earlier, if we just look at the three year period of time from 2016, 17 and 18, in the state of Ohio, if the black infant mortality rate had been the same as a white infant mortality rate, there would be 582 more black babies alive in our state today. And to just put the black infant mortality challenge for the state of Ohio in perspective, if we look at the black infant mortality rates for all states that had enough black deaths to report statistically reliable data in 2017, There was only one state with a higher black infant mortality rate than the state of Ohio. And that Ohio has ranked amongst um, the 10 worst states in our country in terms of the opportunity for black babies to survive the first year of life is something that has been going on literally for decades. And it's time for it to change. Thank you so much. And and take questions as we go along. Absolutely. Thank you for that background. And thinking back, because this has been going on for so many decades, um, what do you think Dr. Walker um, also has contributed to this? Well, I, I wanted to point out, you know, I really appreciate how Dr. James framed where those challenges are. But to put this in perspective, we have to think about this as a greater society issue. If as a society, we are not being responsible for keeping our babies alive that are the most vulnerable, I mean, I think when it comes to policy and practice and programs, this should be like an obvious motivation. If there are babies dying that shouldn't be dying, I think one, it says a lot about who we are as a society. Um, and where we have opportunities to really create health equity. 
such an important part. It really is going to take everyone to be able to um, meet our goals um, for all of our infants um, to make it through that first year of life. And Dr. James, I just want your perspective. Um, historically, how did we get here? Why is there such a racial disparity within infant mortality among white and black babies? Yeah. So I think that's a, a very important question and part of um, that ties in very well with Dr. Walker's uh, comments. First off, I think that we've looked at infant mortality as strictly a clinical problem, a medical issue. And, and that's understandable because we're talking about babies dying. But what's important for us to appreciate and understand is all of what places certain populations at increased risk for such significantly compromised outcome, especially for babies that are our most vulnerable and that deserve uh, our, our protection. So one of the things that we've tried to lift up <clears throat> um, is first off that 20 years ago we had a uh, the Genome Project that said to us that we are 99.9% .9 genetically the same. In part, what that means for us is that this <clears throat> fallacy that we've operated on that suggests that there are racial differences between those of us who are Black and those of us who are white that, um, that account for the racial differences in the opportunity to survive the first year of life is just not true. And that, in fact, <clears throat> what is at the bottom of this, in my opinion, the largest contributor to this is this whole notion um, that the disparity is accounted for by group level flaws amongst those of us of African ancestry. I think that what accounts for this is, is the history of how America has managed the issue of race. Uh, and when you look just briefly at that history, that my ancestors arrived on the shores of this country in larger numbers beginning in 1619 and underwent 246 years of slavery, followed by another 99 years of Jim Crow. It's only been about 57 years since passage of the Civil Rights Act. If you take Slavery and Jim Crow together to this day, those two periods of time account for 85% of the African-American experience. 85% of the time when our country intentionally provided a significant advantage to those of us who were white while simultaneously exposing those of us of African ancestry to significant disadvantage. And that long history of that imbalance between advantage and disadvantage uh, contributes to the disparities that we see today, not just in terms of health outcomes, but in outcomes across the board. It's important to lift that history up for many different reasons, not the least of which is that over time, advantage and disadvantage accumulate. Um, and when we talk about in this case, the racial disparity and the opportunity to survive the first year of life. We never talk about that history. We act as if we are ahistorical and that black people and white people have always existed on a level playing field. And in fact, even after the Civil Rights Act, that's never been the case in the United States. 
And it is those differences that tie into the statement that Dr. Walker made that in my opinion, uh, contribute most significantly to the racial disparity that we see in outcomes. Sorry about that, Michael. Thank you for that. I think you bring up um, a really good con uh, comment about race um, in speci uh, specifically. And I really wanna ask Dr. Barnett, what is meant by systemic racism and in what institutions uh, does this exist? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great question. Um, especially, I think, really starting off of what is racism. I think oftentimes when we hear the word racism, we are kind of triggered to think about the KKK rolling through with white hoods and burning crosses, white only signs, um, and that level of, of discrimination or segregation with our communities. And so in the absence of a KKK uh, march or in the absence of these white only signs, we get a lot of people who think that racism doesn't exist in our society. But really, that's one layer, one level of racism. Um, when we talk about systemic racism, or really to take it back of defining what racism is, so Dr. Kamara Phyllis-Jones defines racism as this system of structuring opportunity that assigns this value um, um, in, in our society that's based on how one looks or our race. And just as Dr. James has said, you know, it does these three things. It disadvantages some individuals while simultaneously advantaging others. But then Dr. Uh, Kamara Phyllis-Jones talks about how it saps the strength of the whole society through this waste of human resources. And what that means is if we think about our Black babies, right? So Dr. James, you mentioned the 582 Black babies um, that, you know, could have been saved had we had similar or we didn't have the disparity. Um, what genius could the, those babies have brought to, our, to us as a society, right? If they had equal opportunity to not only live, but to uh, have good health overall throughout life, to, you know, be exposed to good education systems, you know, what kind of things could they have brought us in our world that we, we lost because we have this systemic racism that exists in our society. And so we talk about systemic racism, again, it's just a system of societal structures. It's the policies within our society, the institutions that kind of uphold this unequal playing field that leaves our minority uh, communities uh, based on race. And we have these race-based inequities that exist in our society based on that. Um, and so we can see that we can think about like two examples of systemic racism and how it kind of plays out today. So one, we can think about the education system, right? And we can say, well, it's not, it's not systemic racism, right? It's our education system. Well, we know that, yes, we have Brown versus Board of Education, which desegregated our schools. Um, but what we also have is the way in which we draw our school districts, we funnel, the way we funnel students into schools is very place-based. And oftentimes, we know that our communities, our neighborhoods are still segregated, so therefore our schools are still segregated. And we think about how we systematically fund our schools. We fund our schools based on property taxes. Well, inherently, that means that our minority communities, which have been historically disinvested in those communities, are going to have poorer schools because the way in which we've decided to fund schools is based on property taxes, which is in and of itself an accumulation of wealth within certain neighborhoods and a deprivation of wealth in other neighborhoods. And we think about that segregation within communities, well, that's also a factor of systemic racism, not personal choice to live in certain neighborhoods. So we have this history in our country of redlining. Uh, for those not familiar with redlining, it is this process in the 1930s through uh, the late 50s where the federal government came into neighborhoods in an effort to um, help us help our housing market. So prior to the 1930s, before this, uh, this HOCA assessment happened, what essentially happened is that the way that we had structured mortgages 
were very vastly different uh, than we see today. So back at that time, you kind of paid your mortgage and you were really just making payments on, in, on the interest and then you were expected to pay the lump sum at the end. And so, of course, in the 1930s, what do we have? We have people defaulting on their mortgages, banks are crashing, and as the government loves to do, we're going to save the businesses. We're going to save the bank. And so they came in and established this new system to, that would federally back these, these uh, mortgages, um, but they had to assess what would risk look like. And again, we're talking about the 1930s. So we can argue about race in 2021. We can't argue about racism existing in our country in 1930. So in 1930, when those federal government, those HOCA assessors, which stands for the Homeowners Loan Corporation, when they came into communities across this country to assess for risk for this, this uh, mortgage assurance, essentially, they based that on, on race. And if you received an A grade, if your community received an A grade, then you received 80% of your mortgage backed by the federal government. And so flash forward to 2021, if you want to buy a home, people tell you to have 20% of your, your mortgage as a down payment. That's based on this historical system. But what happens if you lived in a black neighborhood where your community received a D grade, which meant that you were not eligible at all for uh, uh, this, this mortgage uh, loan um, backing by the government, which meant that you, you, you either could not receive a loan at all, or you were now going to be subjected to more predatory loan practices. And that matters today because we know in this country that we build wealth through land ownership. So not only did we prevent one generation from owning land and building wealth, we prevented a generation from passing it down to future generations. Again, going back to the conversation about education, and if our schools are built on um, or funded through property taxes, well, that redlining also has an impact on property taxes in 2021, which then impacts our school systems as well. And not only did this process impact home ownership, it also impacted businesses in our communities. And when we look at these red line communities today, they're still predominantly minority and predominantly low income. And on the flip side, if we look at those A-graded communities today, they're predominantly white and they're predominantly upper uh, middle income. So we've continued to hoard and segregate our communities based on not only race, but also wealth. And so when we talk about systemic racism, we're not just talking about you know, two people interacting on the street and not, and not having, you know, having some sort of racist comments being made from one person to another. We're really talking about this system that is rooted in the history of this country that continues to perpetuate our communities and our neighborhoods today. I think that that's such an important historical lesson. And one of the big things is to really separate um, those kind of typical views of what racism is, but really looking at the broader um, definition and impact that it's had in, our, in communities um, across the United States for decades. Dr. Walker, what can you add to this discussion? Well, I, I wanted to say that I really appreciated that Dr. Barnett started off by telling people that racism isn't always the most obvious, because that in particular is why we struggle in part with addressing the issues that we have with infant mortality. People think racist and they may think white nationalists, white supremacists, member of the KKK. But when we think about, as she so eloquently described, the idea of these systems but the systems also allow a certain blindness. And Dr. James referred to that idea that it's allowed for people to be ahistorical. So then what happens is that two things happen, and it happens both at the individual level and the institutional level. So at the individual and institutional level, you get this cumulative deprioritization. 
over time, we have been okay with not investing in people that deserved our investment or ignoring the investments that we were supposed to make. And even in our day-to-day decisions, it's who do you spend more time with? Who do you believe? And another kind of newer term that's coming out about that is this idea that we have a racial attention deficit, that we are able to just really not believe the stories and lived experiences of minoritized and marginalized people because we have this assumption that everything has been fair, even though if we didn't have that ahistorical lens that Dr. James and Dr. Barnett have described, we would recognize that we are in trouble and that we don't have to be here. To continue listening to the rest of our panel discussion on infant mortality and health disparities in minoritized communities, go back to our episode library and click on the remaining episodes. 